We're in Matthew 23. You can turn there. If you know your Bible, Matthew 23 is the longest and harshest verbal assault by Jesus. It's unprecedented in the Gospels. It's woe after woe after woe after woe, seven of them. And so when you, re- you come across this chapter, it can be quite stunning and like, what is Jesus doing here? It ends, if you know the chapter, very brilliantly, very graciously, but it is by far the strongest verbal rebuke Jesus ever gives that's recorded in the Gospels, all right? So Wednesday, if you want a very strong verbal rebuke, come out. (laughs) I just want to get the center. There's a deep end of this rebuke, and I think we catch it in verse 25 of Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. It's not a compliment. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. In case I didn't hear the first time. It's about the fifth time he said it. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus, we have found your words to be right, that they line up life. They line up our hearts. They line up how we sense. They line up how relationships and righteousness and your heavenly father, they just line everything up. They make absolute sense. And so when we come to very tough texts, we still trust you. We trust your character. We trust that you are good, that you're always good, that you are actually pursuing people, pursuing their lives to be made right once again, to line up. And so when we read this text, Lord, we pray that our hearts would see you, your goodness, your gentleness, your gracefulness, your mercy, your compassion, your empathy, and that we would know that you have a really good goal. So even this morning, Lord, as we quickly look at this passage, may we know that you are for us. And because you're for us, who can be against us? That you have demonstrated your love for us that when we were sinners, you died for us. That you're absolutely, undeniably, committed to each person in here, so much so that you allowed yourself to be torn apart so that you could rebuild the bridge back to yourself. And so would you speak and may we listen. We pray this in your name. Amen.
So I read that little text. What's the issue? There it is. Piece of cake. It's hypocrisy, right? It's concern with the outward without any concern with the inward. And so Jesus actually says, it's like remodeling a tomb. That's what you're doing. You're remodeling a tomb. Why are you doing that? Oh, today we might put it like this. It would be like washing and waxing your car, but never changing the oil. What's going to happen? You're going to end up with some Merlin lawn art, right? That's what you'll have. It's like having a disease like cancer and spending all your time and effort on clothing and your hair, but never a cure. It's like painting over dry rot. You ever done that? Right? You're just, you're, you're covering up the inevitable. So Jesus here is like, your hypocrisy is covering up something that's going to kill you, literally. So he starts to kind of show how hypocrisy, hypocrisy, man, how their hypocrisy begins to manifest itself. And the first thing he says is it's, it's verse 25, you're full of greed. Isn't greed one of the few sins that only you know about? Like there's no outward thing about it. And here's what's interesting about greed. And now almost 12 years of pastoral ministry, I have never had somebody unprompted come and confess to me, Matt, I'm greedy. Never. I've had people confess sins I didn't even know existed. I'm like, man, you're inventing sins. But no one, and greed is throughout the Bible, cover to cover. No one has ever come into my office and said, Matt, I have to confess to you, I'm greedy. Why is that? It's one of those secret sins because there's always somebody with more money than you that should be more generous than you. So greed, greed is this manifestation of hypocrisy in my heart. I become greedy. Then the next one is self-indulgence. You know what self-indulgence is? It's, hey, I got to look out for number one. Hey, I got to do what's best for me. It starts really early. You know how it starts? Give me mine. And it really doesn't end. It's, the world is supposed to revolve around me, self-indulgence, another manifestation of hypocrisy. And then greed and hypocrisy lead to, Jesus just says, you guys are blind. You're blind. You don't see anything outside of yourself. All you, you're so inwardly focused now that you can't see anything but yourself. So you're blind to the entire world. And then fourthly, he says, you become lawless. The Greek there is actually no law. You don't have a law. So it's like this. It's like all the rules apply to other people, not to me. I'm the exception. I'll tell you how to live, but don't you dare tell me how to live. That's lawlessness. I'm the exception. I'm above these things. Don't you dare confront me with any of this. And then lastly, he just says, you're a tomb. This thing is going to kill you. Here's what's interesting today. The soft sciences, they say when people become hypocrites, or they call it when you invent an idealized self, when you start to do that, what happens is the real self, guess what happens to it? It just gets lost. It, it, it dies, if you would. 
So when you invent this idealized self, and there's always these pressures to invent an idealized self. It could be, man, I want to belong. I want to impress somebody. I want people to think I'm something else. There's all these reasons to invent it. But when you start living out that idealized self, what happens is who you really are dies. It's a tomb then. Like you, you just stop even knowing who you are, okay? So my guess is this, that most of us in this little bowl, most of us at some level have hypocrisy, okay? Let me give you an example of how that might just look. So let's imagine this morning, and I don't have to imagine very much, and probably you don't either. Let's imagine you're driving to church this morning, and you're having a talk with your spouse. Have you ever had any of those on the way to church? Maybe it's because one of you lagged a bit, and you know you're going to be sitting in the sun on a 105-degree day. So you're just kind of having the talk. And your kids in back, what are they doing? Oh, no, they're getting rowdy too, right? And so then you start kind of getting mad at the kids in back, and you keep threatening, threatening, hey, I'm going to pull over. You've done that about five times in about four blocks. You've tried to take away every privilege from them, except for their birthday, which you now regret ever happened, right? (laughs) But you park in that parking lot, and the first person you meet, they say, how are you doing? What do you say? My wife and I just fought like rock stars. My kids are driving me insane. Do you say that? No, truly God is good. Praise God, right? (laughs) And part of me is like happy because, you know, I don't want church to be the dumping ground, but that's really, it's not great. And, And yet most of us do that exact thing, right? I drove with my wife to church for a long time. Now because of my job, I'm usually here before her. And so that doesn't happen as frequently. But I know it can happen. It's like, okay. But there's this hypocrisy thing. It's in all of us. So Jesus here, really, the the thing he says over and over and over in this is, you're hypocrites, you're hypocrites, you're hypocrites. You're play acting. And the worst part of the Pharisee was this. They acted like they were more righteous than they really were. They pretended to be better, if you would, Christians than they actually were. Were. And it begins to lead. If that happens to you, what happens is, is you do that probably primarily for one reason. Why would we act like we're more righteous when we're at church? Fear, right? The fundamental motivation for that is fear. If these people really knew who I am, if they really knew who I am, they would be appalled by me and they would reject me. The truth is this, most Christians are so judgmental, we don't think you're that great. That's really good news. (laughs) So you can just get rid of that one right after we just scratch it. (laughs) So there's in us this kind of, and so, oh, oh. So that's what Jesus is after right here. He's just going after them on that. So what are we supposed to do? Most of us at some level wear a mask. Most of us at some level could find, if you read this chapter, I read it, and you know what? I found found myself over and over and over again. That's really me. I do that too. Oh, woe unto me. So if if Jesus is saying, it's going to kill you, it's going to lead to all this bad stuff inside of you, shouldn't we do something about it? I think so. I had a lot to talk about. I boiled it down this morning to three points. Hopefully simple enough that we can actually think them through. Number one point, what do we do? Number one we need honesty. So Jesus Christ, if you know his story, 
he has now for three and a half years been interacting with the Pharisees. He's not, this is not his first rodeo. He's talked with them. He's met with them. He's had discussions with them. He's shared with them. He's answered questions. He's asked them questions. They've had a long relationship. And so now Jesus, after three and a half years, just decides, I'm going to be 100% honest with this crew. They need honesty. I've had other interactions with them. I've tried grace. I've tried mercy. I've tried truth. I've tried all these things. Now it's time for 100% honesty. No more hypocrisy, honesty. I think that the dominant culture inside of church, and I say that bigger than Edgewater, just church. I've been in church since I was born. The dominant culture inside of church is not honesty. The dominant culture inside of church is hypocrisy. That's our dominant culture. That's kind of how we interact with each other. Now, let me try to prove that. Because when your dominant culture is hypocrisy, you turn into a club where you keep doing certain things to stay in the club. But I think church, Jesus compared himself over and over to a physician. I think church is supposed to look like a hospital. Very different than a hospital, okay? So let me give you a test to see if the dominant way that you view church is, is club, honest, or hypocrisy, or honesty hospital. Let's say you made a mistake. You're driving your car. You're driving your motorcycle. You're whatever. You make a wrong turn, whatever. You run a red light. You get in an accident. You break your leg. Where do you go? Hospital. You get to the hospital. The doctor says, what'd you do? I got attacked by robbers. They beat the snot out of me. I was in Brazil. Sorry. <laughs> well, you tell them, hey, man, I made a mistake, turned red light, you know, I broke my leg. Okay, you made a mistake, broke your leg, go to the hospital, get fixed. Okay, so let's say this. Let's say you make a mistake Friday night, you get in your car, and you get a Dewey. Sunday morning, do you come to church? If you're saying, what's a Dewey? I just love you. I love you. <laughs> Would you show up in church? The majority of us would say, nope. Why? Because our mask just got ripped, ripped off. And we're like, uh-uh, I'm not going in there. I'm not going in. So most of us, most of us do not view church as the hospital where we come to the great physician to be healed. Most of us view church as a place where we can put on our masks and look good. And when it doesn't look out, so I have a good friend, and I, and I got together with him about two weeks ago, and we sat down, we we're catching up. He's, he's been a really good dad to a, to a he got married, and uh, there's a, a son involved, and he just became this great dad to this, this young man that needs him. He, he's now a young adult, and we were talking about how's he doing, uh, because we kind of talked about him before, and he goes, well, here's what he's doing. He goes, a couple weeks ago, I finally got him to go to this accountability group with me. It's one of those groups where they ask you, how much of the Bible did you read? Did you pray this week? Did you share the gospel? And then they write down like what you're supposed to do. And then they'll ask you the next week, okay, you said you're going to do this, that, and the other. Did you do it? So it's one of those groups. And, and so they're in this group of men and, and it's early in the morning and the leader's going around the group and he's talking to the guy. And the first guy's like, you know, I read through the entire New Testament. And uh, the next guy's like, I, I started praying all night and I prayed all the night watches. And the third guy's like, I shared with my boss and he got saved and he's on fire for the Lord. And then they come to my buddy's stepson. And like, how about you? He looked at him and goes, I tried reading the Bible. 
It didn't work. So I quit. I tried praying. It didn't work. So I quit. So I don't got nothing to share. I said to my buddy, man, I wish I could have been in there. Oh, to see those faces. The eager believers are like, what? You just ran on a parade. What I told my buddy was this. I said, that is a great place for him to be in. Because if he's not honest about it, here's what happens. You have this slow fade away. Those things, they love darkness. Those little kind of concerns and those kind of worries, they, they're like mold. You keep them in darkness, they just grow and grow. And what happens in your spiritual life is you just fade away. And then at the end, you're not even sure why. Much better to be like that young man and to be like, I don't get it. To me, I say, I can start with that. Let's talk. Let's talk about what the purpose of the Bible. Let's talk about the purpose of prayer. Let's talk about those things. Because maybe you're misinformed on them. Man, that's a great place to start. In fact, James says this. It's James 5, 16. He says, admit your faults one to another. Let people know. Don't put on a mask. Don't pretend. Number one, be honest. If this culture at Edgewater is to be what it's supposed to be, that we're a hospital for broken people, then we got to be honest people. We got to be honest. Honest about what's happening. Number one. Number two, we got to have this priority. Look at verse 26. Jesus says this, first clean, clean the inside of the cup, and, and it's very interesting, and the plate, that the outside may be clean. It's so interesting there. He didn't say first clean the inside, then clean the outside. It's as if Jesus is saying, if you'll clean the inside, the repercussions of that, the outcome of that will be your outside will be clean. It's a really cool little thought. Number two, is priority. What's our priority? Are we concerned about what's inside of us or do we really care a lot more about what happens on the outside? It's the difference right there between religion and the gospel. Religion is only concerned with outward stuff. You can be greedy, self-indulgent, hateful, but if you paid your tithe and you wore the right kind of clothes, you're in, right? So here's the analogy I gave of those two things, I don't know, three months ago on a Wednesday night. I said, I look at religion and I look at the gospel like these two analogies. Religion is like this. It's like a corral. It has a fence and there are very, very strict borders about who's in or who's out, right? If you have a corral with horses, you know who your horses are. If you're inside of my fence, you belong to me. Even if you hate it, even if you want to get out, I still know, all right, you're in. And there might be horses on the outside that want to get inside, but they can't because there's the fence in the way. That's religion. Religion sets up these fences and it tells everybody else, here's who's in and here's who's out. By the clothes that you wear, by the way that you speak, by who you hang out with, who you don't hang out with, what you do, what you don't do. There's very rigid fences. You're in or you're out. That's religion. Only outward matters. To me, here's what the gospel is. The gospel is so different. The gospel is like this. The gospel is, I compare it to like a watering hole in the Sahara, right? The animals are driven to that watering hole because they know that's life. That's desire. If I don't get there, I'm doomed. And I have this picture at home. It's really cool. It's of this 
watering hole in the Sahara, and within five, eight feet of each other, there's a lion drinking some water. Six, seven feet away is a zebra drinking some water. It drives all the same into the watering hole. If you look at the trajectory of the gospel of Matthew, that's what Jesus does. He says to the tax collector and to the prostitute, come on in, come on in. In fact, in chapter 21, he says to the Pharisees, they're ahead of you guys. The tax collectors and the prostitutes, the wrong kind of people, they're actually ahead of you. Why? Because they're headed to me. You guys are still stuck in your fence. You still don't realize what's inside of you is killing you. But these people, the tax collectors, the, Pharise- the, the prostitutes, they realize what's in, in them and it's broken and they are coming to me and receiving of me the water that cleans them up. This morning, why are you here? To listen to me. That's a bummer. (laughs) Is it to check the membership? To live. That's great. Yeah. It should be all that. If I'm coming to church to to check off a box or to try to make God happy or, or pay my membership fee, man, I'm stuck in a corral and it's going to kill me. If instead you're saying, no, I'm here because this place, Jesus Christ, he alone has the words of eternal life. Man, victory. Let me read for you a psalm. This is where I get that idea of a watering hole. Listen to this. And I hope this is the desire of every person that comes here, that this is why we come. Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. That's a gospel-moved individual. I don't have to be here. There's no fence that's forcing me in here. It's I have to be here because you alone, Jesus, have the words of eternal life, because you are the one that's able to give me exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ask or think, because your love is better than life. Whatever you think life is, I don't know what life is to you. Maybe it's getting a million bucks. Maybe it's going to Disneyland. Maybe it's going to Merlin. Maybe it's going down the road. I don't know what life is to you. The Bible makes this really clear. Jesus is better than it. He's the watering hole that you need. If, if that's our priority, what happens is it starts from the inside, Jesus says, and it's going to transform your outside. The greed the self-indulgence, the uncleanliness, the stuff that's killing you, it just disappears naturally because that's the power of the gospel. Then lastly, lastly is this one. It's humility. Look at verse 37. This is how Jesus ends and it's so gracious and so kind. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. 
Jesus says, you're murderers, right? You're murderers, and yet I'm still calling you. Come to me. Come to me. I love that. And he compares himself to a chicken. (laughs) I have chickens. I say, Jesus, why'd you compare yourself to a chicken? I've never seen the stained glass chicken illustration. I think in our church, we're going to have one. There it is. I mean, it's not like, really, you're mother henning them. But what does he say? You weren't willing. Nope. Nah, not going to do it. They were unwilling to come. They would not admit their lack. They would not admit their need. They were too prideful. No, I'm in, man. Can't you see? I wear the right clothes. I say the right thing. I go to the right place. I have the right friends. I have the right job. I'm in, Jesus. And Jesus is saying, no, you're not because your heart is full of greed and self-indulgence and you become murderers. It's come out as murder and this thing is killing you. And as I thought about this, I thought, I wonder if I propagate the problems of Matthew 23. I wonder if I do. And here's why. I am very quick to quote a verse to people, but I'm not so quick to bear my soul with people. So if someone comes to me and they have an issue or they have a problem, I'll give them a verse. But I won't necessarily empathize with them and say, oh, I get it. So I'll give you an example. If somebody comes and says, Matt, I need to talk to you this morning. My wife and I, we had it out. Can I talk with you? Okay, if they come talk with me, my natural tendency is to do this, is to quote Ephesians 5.26. Bro, Man, you got to love your wife like Christ loved the church and died for her. And that guy's going to be like, I'd prefer death right now. Would you kill me? I mean, honestly, just kill me, right? When maybe, maybe a better tactic for me to do would be like, man, I get it. I understand. I know exactly how you're feeling. All right. I'm going to, from this day forward, I'm going to start texting you. Give me your phone number because I know exactly what you're going through. I've done the exact same thing, and I don't want to be that. I want to be something else. What if I did that instead? What, what if moms, when, when you guys are talking about your kids, and, and someone's like, oh, my kids are driving me insane, instead of looking at them like, oh, how could you? Say, me too. Here's my number. Call me so we don't end up eating our children, because they'll get us. I mean, does that create a, an environment where hypocrisy dissolves? I think so. I think that's what's happened. And if you read the Bible, the big story of the Bible is this. God grabs the worst people and makes incredible things out of them. Abraham was a liar. I mean, that dude was a liar. He lied about his own wife. Not my wife. Another dude takes his wife into his harem. I mean, we, today we'd be like, bro, you are a terrible individual. And yet the Bible holds him up as the father of faith. It's unbelievable. Right? Moses is a murderer. And he's held up as the hero, the lawgiver of the Old Testament. The, the worst law-breaking possible, capital punishment, he becomes the lawgiver. I mean, it's nutty. It's just absolutely nutty. David, the greatest king, and he's an adulterer, liar, and murderer. Just all of them. He just said, you know what, Abraham, I'm going to take a little bit from you. Moses, I'm going to take a little bit from you. I'm going to add my own sin to it. It's ridiculous if you think about it. New Testament, Peter's a denier. Paul's a persecutor, a guy that hates Jesus. But what happens to him? They encounter Jesus and they encounter his mercy 
and they encounter his goodness and they encounter that water that satisfies their soul and their inside is cleaned up and what happens to their outside? Man, they become something so different, so brilliant because they've tasted and they've seen Jesus. That's what it is. So over and over in the New Testament, there'll be these lists about the church. First Corinthians 6 is one of them. You guys were all this stuff adulterers, murderers, fornicators, homosexuals, men haters, men stealers. You're all this stuff, but you've obtained mercy in Jesus Christ. Man, that's the gospel. You were this like Abraham and like Moses and like David and like Peter and like Paul, but you are this. And here's the thing I love about Paul. Paul, if you read the book of Acts, he's constantly giving his testimony and he does not whitewash it, right? Every time he gives his testimony, it's like, I killed Christians, all right? So he just gets it right out there. He's not ashamed, why? Because he knows the gospel. Here's how you know that you are no longer in the rigid rules of religion, but you've entered into a relationship with Jesus. Here's how you know, it's by repentance. When you're in religion and you've got your rigid rules, when you feel like you need to repent, you are absolutely bummed out. I blew it. I broke one of my little rules. I'm out now. I've got to get back in. But when Jesus is the oasis of water for you, you see repentance as a way to move forward and faster to him. Oh man, I just got rid of another weight. Oh, Jesus just cleaned up another thing inside of me. You revealed that to me. Praise Jesus. I repent. I get set free and I can move faster to drink more of Jesus. How you view repentance will tell you, am I a hypocrite? Or am I a gospel-saturated believer who is moving into the things of Jesus? Honesty. I pray we're a place of honesty where we can really say, I need help. I came here to get help, not to be judged. I came here to get help. Can you help me? Absolutely. We know where the water's at. Let me show you where the water's at. It's really good. Number two, the priority. Our priority has to be the gospel. And then lastly, humility. Jesus, I'm not what I'm supposed to be, but I'm certainly not what I used to be. And you're not done with me. And I want more of you. That's humility. And so if you're here today and you just need prayer, because James 5 says, hey, admit it. And then it says, be like Elijah who prayed. If you need prayer for this stuff, because I constantly do. Right over here, we're gonna have some people praying for you. We'd love to do that. Let the partner with you, tell you, hey, you're not a freak. I've done the same thing. And if you're here today and you're saying, you know what I need? I've been stuck in this corral trying to do this religion thing and I got to break out of it. Maybe today is the day that you get baptized and you say, I, I, I want something new to happen. I want to pursue Jesus, not because I'm trying to fit some kind of rules. I want to pursue Jesus because he is the living water because he is the one who has a love that's better than life. That's because it's him. So both of those options are open for you. But I pray that you would go from here today, really thinking about these three simple things. Am I an honest Christian? Is my priority what's going on inside of me, not what people think on the outside of me? And am I humble enough to admit when I really need Jesus and run to him and receive shelter underneath his wings? Because that's this entire chapter. And it's a great warning with an incredible finish for us because he's wooing us and beckoning us, come to me. I don't care if you're a murderer, come to me and I won't reject you. So Father, I thank you for this day. Hot, warm, 
I thank you for Matthew 23. I thank you that your hard words can actually soften hearts. And so, Lord, I pray for myself. I pray that I would be an honest believer, allowing the camaraderie of companions to help me on this, to admit my faults, to walk with people, to, yes, quote your word, but also to bear my soul. I pray that my priority would not be based on what people think of me or how I think they think about me, but my priority would be upon becoming the kind of person, Jesus, that you want me to become. And then lastly, Lord, I pray that we would be a group of people. We would be a group of people that run to you, run to the shadow of your wings, that we are humble and hungry for more of you. So would you go with us this day and may we treat others as we'd want to be treated. May we be honest with others as we'd want to be honest. May we walk with others the way that we want others to walk with us. And we need you to do that through us and with us. So may we partner with you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.